Most people have heard of phytoestrogens, but did you know there are beneficial phytoandrogens that mimic and support testosterone and more? The top source of these is pine pollen. If you're looking for 100% natural hormonal support for men and women, you've got to try this. Right now, Lost Empire Herbs' best-selling pine pollen is available for one penny plus shipping and handling. Go to GeniusPollen.com to find out more and grab yourself a bag today. No hidden charges, no trial offer, no shenanigans. Just a low-cost way to try Lost Empire Herbs' top product for next to nothing. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have a great guest, Cy Gart. He's the author of a book called The Works of His Hands, a scientist's journey from atheism to faith. So we're going to talk about his journey and more topics. So Cy, thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Tell me a bit about your background and what your mindset was like before you started your journey. Well, my family background is was very strong atheism and very strong left-wing beliefs. My parents had been members of the American Communist Party when, in the 30s, three generations of atheists. And I grew up, of course, with that mindset and never thought to question it as a child or a youth or even as a young person. And I was very interested in science. My father was a chemist, so I also studied chemistry first in college, and then I studied biochemistry in graduate school, my PhDs in biochemistry, and I became a research scientist in academia, which I did for pretty much the next 35 years. I published a lot of papers, got a lot of grants, the standard academic scientist life. And during that period, I was also beginning to question my initial philosophical ideas related to materialism and atheism and began wondering whether there was something more in the world than just what we could see with the natural and physical laws. So part of that questioning was what came from what I was actually learning in science itself, especially things in physics, quantum physics, and some of the other areas in modern physics, which are not really consonant, very mechanistic, very easily understood materialistic worldview. There are things in quantum mechanics that don't really make rational sense in the way we used to think of them, although they're true. And when I was studying biochemistry, I was also learning things about life, which were quite surprising to me. When you study graduate biochemistry, you learn the details of how life works. And Unfortunately, it's very difficult to get access to that information unless you're actually, you know, a fairly advanced scientist because it's very, very complex and takes a lot of learning. And that material was just staggeringly interesting to me. And I found it hard to understand where all that came from. And I began thinking I wasn't in any way a theist. I didn't believe in God. I did wonder about how all of this came to be, how life began. And then, you know, how did all these amazing systems that work in all of our cells, how did they begin? 
And of course, I did hold and still do hold to the theory of evolution to explain most of what goes on in life, but it doesn't have anything much to say about the origin of life. And uh, that remained a mystery. So I found myself at some point, I guess, in my 40s, not so much an atheist anymore, but perhaps more of an agnostic. I certainly was not a theist, but I began, as I said, I began wondering about whether there was anything else, any other worldviews that might make sense. And I began looking into things like Buddhism, which was very popular at that time, and other religions. Some of the material I read was very mystical. I found it interesting, but not easy to grab hold of. And there were some other experiences I had, which are all in my book. It's too much to go into very quickly, but I eventually went to a church for the first time and was very surprised by what I found. I even started looking into the Bible, which I had never looked at before. I started looking at especially the New Testament. And little by little, I began wondering about whether there might be some truth to all of this religious stuff. But it wasn't until I had some personal experiences that I really began taking this seriously. And uh, again, it was a stepwise process. There were several dreams that I had, some other experiences. And eventually I ended up with an experience where I felt that the Holy Spirit had actually entered me and I found myself professing faith in Jesus. So that's a very short snapshot of the whole book worth. And would you mind um would you mind recounting that experience where you you said the Holy Spirit entered into you? What was that like? What happened? Well, yeah, I can tell you the story. It's in the book in perhaps more detail, but I will give you the the outline, which is that I was driving alone, long trip. I was going from New York to Pittsburgh and I turned on the radio and all I could get was a Christian station with a preacher which I always turned off because they were annoying to me. <laughs> but this one I listened to for a few minutes because this preacher was really good. He really had, you know, I, I don't know what he said, but it was the way he spoke that I found very interesting. He really had a great rhythm and a great style. And, you know, and I was thinking, I thought to myself, gee, that, you know, I like to talk also. Maybe what would it be like if I gave it, if I preached, if I gave a sermon of some kind, which I kind of found was funny because, have a dreamt of doing that. And the next thing I knew, I turned the radio off and, and I started thinking about what I would talk about. And I had various thoughts about maybe talking about something about the origin of life or quantum theory or something. But at that point, uh, and this is very hard to describe as most of these experiences are, I guess, but I felt something strange and I, and words came into my mind and I began speaking these words to myself, probably silently, but I could hear them. And I, and I had the feeling it was like as if I was addressing a crowd. And the words were not my own. I had the sense that they were coming from somewhere outside of me and that I was just speaking them. And the subject was nothing that I'd ever thought about, although I'd probably heard about the concepts, but I never really thought of them. So if anything, they were quite subconscious. And it was all about me telling the crowd that there's no question that Jesus must love them because he loves even me, that sinner that I am. And I went on, you know, all the details are, as I said, I'm not going to go into the whole, the whole speech. I did write it down later, so I do, I do have it. But basically, I gave this very impassioned sermon talking about 
God's love. And at the end of it, I pulled over the car to the side of the road and I realized that what I had said was true. And I just basically broke down, began crying and said out loud that I believe. And from then on, I, it's never changed. I've been a believer ever since. Most supplements are taken on faith and can take weeks or months to have an effect. Even supplements backed by scientific studies may or may not deliver those same benefits to you. But what if you could feel the results of what you took within just a few days? Lost Empire Herbs offers the highest quality, wild-harvested, non-irradiated pine pollen, and that can dramatically impact your hormones fast. Right now, you can grab it for one cent plus shipping and handling at GeniusPollen.com. What feelings accompanied what you said in your mind? While I was speaking, I was mostly feeling a sense of joy, great gladness. When I was finished and I said that I'm a believer, I felt a huge, immediately, a huge feeling of relief. And it was like, I, very hard to describe. It was like something that I had been struggling against for a very long time just disappeared. And, and I felt very happy to the point where I knew I would never go back. Were your parents or anyone in your family still around that, that saw this change in you? No. Well, my sister was and is, uh, but my parents had long passed. Many of my friends, all of whom were atheists, <laughs> and colleagues, again, all of whom were atheists, I didn't tell right away. I didn't even tell my sister right away uh, because, you know, I, I didn't know how to say it. And I was quite, there were things about it that, that bothered me and worried me because I'm a scientist. I was an active scientist at that point. I'm retired now, but I still do science. And I wasn't sure how that would work. I didn't know if there were any other scientists who were, you know, Christians. I later found out that there are many, many <laughs> thousands, but I didn't know it at the time. I didn't have any colleagues who I knew were Christian. You said you've been studying You've been contemplating the origin of life. So how does that yeah. fit into your new worldview? Did, did God create the world and kind of set it spinning and is now watching it and occasionally, you know, touching the spinning top? Or, or how do you see all this coming together? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't really have a great answer for that. I do believe that God created everything, you know, the world, the universe. The details I'm not clear on, and uh, nobody can know. However, having said that, and I also think God created life, but I'm a scientist, and I would if saying that God created life doesn't tell us much, right? It's just it's just a, a belief, and it's a it, a statement, but it doesn't have much behind it scientifically. So my interest is how is answering the question how, which is you know a scientific question. Why is a philosophical and, and theological question, and I think the why is to to create beings who could worship Him. But how did that happen? And uh, that's something that I'm actually very interested in. And I've done a, actually done a little bit of theoretical research into abiogenesis, looking at especially the issue of self-replication of cells and things of that sort. And I don't know what the answer is going to be. I don't believe in God of the gaps. I'm not going to ever say we don't know this. So it must have been that God did it because that doesn't really tell us anything. It's possible that it's true, but I don't know how we can you know, I don't know how we can determine that. So I guess what I like to say is that science and faith are in harmony, I feel, with each other. 
but it doesn't mean that they play the same notes because to be in harmony, you have to play different notes. So they don't tell us the same thing. Science tells us a lot about how the world works. There are some gaps where we don't know yet the answers, but religion doesn't tell us how the world works. It tells us why God created us, why we are here, and it's totally different questions and answers. But I do believe that they're in harmony, and the the results from the two are not inconsistent with each other, they're not in conflict with each other. And that is my main message. It's why I wrote the book, is to tell people who are either Christians who are worried about science or the opposite, people who are interested in science but think that religion is a problem, that conflict is not real. And in fact, there's no problem with being both a scientist or someone interested in science and being an active Christian. What do you think uh, God thinks of science and scientists? (laughs) Yeah, I don't have any idea what God thinks or how he thinks. (laughs) I mean, we know a little bit about God because if you're Christian, you believe that Jesus Christ was God incarnate who came to to, to earth to talk to us and, and instruct, instruct us. But if you read the Gospels, you will find that there's not one sentence about science in the Gospels. Jesus didn't tell us, look, guys, let me tell you how the universe started. There was a singularity and a big bang, and it was a part of, you know, he never told us that. He never told us anything that is directly related to scientific knowledge. What he told us about was how to treat each other how to think about humans, what importance of love was all about, and how to live. And that's not related to a scientific discussion reality. Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers, because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and uh, we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the, uh, the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up. And check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going. And I love coffee. Thank you. You know, when you're contemplating different scientific principles, theories, postulates, et cetera, do you, do you try to ask God, you know, what do you think about this? Or what do you think the answer is here, et cetera? Do you ever get promptings? <laughs> Do you you feel like you get promptings? Do I get promptings from God? I don't think so. I think most of my, if you want to call them conversations or prayers with God, have to do with more personal things. I give God thanks very, very often for my life, for the way it's worked out. I understand that that most of us are really quite blessed, even though we don't know it. And and when things go bad, as they do, not immune to bad times. I've lived a pretty long life. I'm going to be 75 soon. So I've had lots of experiences, both good and bad. But I feel that Jesus Christ uh, is is real and was true to his word and that we are, if we have faith in him, that salvation awaits. So, you know, as bad as things can be, we also know that Jesus suffered very badly 
for us. And that is telling us something. But in terms of science, you know, I think this is, we have to remember that almost all of the original scientists, at least in Western Europe, were Christians and they were devout Christians. And they felt that they were looking into the laws of nature as coming from God. So in other words, the the laws of nature were part of the laws of God. And this is a and, and premise, which was somewhat revolutionary at the time, was that we live in an orderly universe with laws. And that was not widely accepted. The, the whole concept of magic, which was predominant in the world, was not related to that. It was more about the whims of, of demigods and various, you know, pagan gods who basically were like humans with superpowers. Think of the movie Thor, you know, <laughs> that's, that, you know, very powerful guys who could do all kinds of stuff, but they were human with human emotions and they, you know, they got jealous of each other and they fought each other. And Okay. I think that's a magical, polytheistic, fairly primitive form of religion, but that's not what I hold to. I hold to the idea of a single all-powerful God who is not something that we can describe very well other than the experience we had as humans with Jesus Christ, who was part of that trinity. I call these uh, the following items like velvet ropes, you know, like a nightclub that you can't get into because there's ropes and kind of a, a bouncer that won't let you in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, there are quantum effects and there's uncertainty, you know, in terms of quantum mechanics. So there's certain things we, we probably can never know. We can never get to seems like 99.9999% of the universe, we can never reach absolute zero, we can never reach the speed of light. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of these um, velvet ropes that I don't think we're ever going to pass. Yeah. Do you yeah. notice such things? Or what are your thoughts about? Them? Yeah, I call those people talk about gaps of knowledge. So I talk about what you're saying as ontological unknowns, meaning that these are things that we can never know. And and you mentioned, kind of almost mentioned one of them, which is very well known, which is the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. It's it's a principle in quantum theory, which says that we can never know the, the momentum and the position of an, ele- of an electron at the same time. We can know one, but not both. And that's an unknown that cannot be solved. There's no research that will ever lead us to solve that. It has to be that way because that's the, the basis of radioactivity. It's the basis of, you know, the internet, all kinds of technology that we have. So that's not an unknown that is subject to further investigation. That's something we know we cannot know. This is also true in math. A mathematician named Gödel. German mathematician uh, came up with theorems that show that we can never have a fully consistent, fully approvable mathematical system. So there are these real, as you said, velvet ropes that prevent us. I, I In my book, I call them stop signs, but it's the same idea. <laughs> there are things that we can't go past scientifically. And is there some other way? Well, I, if you think about it, One of the philosophies that I find most objectionable is what's called scientism, which is the idea that the scientific method can answer everything. It can answer a lot, but there are whole huge areas of knowledge that it can't even begin to address, even within science. For example, just to give a quick example, there are many constants, right, in the physical laws. There are Avogadro's number, Planck's constant, the value of pi, the speed of light, many, many such constants. And we have no idea why the constant values are those numbers. We know that they are those numbers because 
we get that by doing experiments and finding out that, yeah, you have to multiply this by that number in order to get the law to work. But we don't know why, and nobody's investigating because it's not answerable. It has no scientific answers, just the way it is. So, you know, that's another example. And then there's so many other things like, you know, I one argument I often have with people who believe in scientism is, you know, how can you how can you tell the the value of a, of a piece of artwork? You know, how do you tell if it's good or not? And that's there's no scientific method for that. Yeah. And I guess also a fine tuned nature of the universe. You know, you we're talking about constants. Not only do we not know why they are the values that they are, but can you talk a little bit about fine tuning? Yeah. Fine tuning is one of the scientific, they're very few, but there are few. And fine tuning is one of the scientific arguments that is kind of, I wouldn't say proves God because nothing can do that, but it certainly points to the idea of some kind of a, of a divine or some kind of being that, you know, is involved in the origin of the universe, because how else did we get all these values to be exactly correct to allow for galaxies and stars to form. If you just took a random universe and, you know, set it in motion and, you know, just with random values for all these constants, the, the density of the universe, cosmological constant, all the value of the strong force, all these things, you would basically have either nothing or you'd have a lot of hydrogen, you know, protons floating around. You wouldn't have stars and, and galaxies and planets. And of course, you wouldn't have life. So yeah, the fine tuning argument, and there are other answers, other possible answers, other than it was literally tuned by, you know, a creator, but the other answers could be, well, there's a huge number of universes, there's a multiverse with almost infinite universes, and we are in the one that has everything right, because of course, we would have to be. And that answer is not wrong, but it has no evidence because by definition, a multiverse is not something we can ever really prove. It's outside of our universe, so we can't get there. So it, you know, it could be true, but we don't know. And other possible answers are there, but the fine tuning is a pretty strong, I, I mean, I've, I've heard many atheist philosophers say that the fine tuning argument is one of the strongest arguments they've heard for the existence of God. Mm, okay. So over the years, how have your colleagues reacted? Has it, has it made it difficult for you to be a scientist or what's been your interaction with them? No, it hasn't. I, it doesn't come up much, if ever. When I was doing research, it rarely came up. And in fact, I, after I had that experience, a, few, a couple of years later, I stopped doing research and I took a position at the National Institutes of Health as a division director in the Center for Scientific Review. So that was an administrative position, not a research position. And I was there for six years and I didn't publish because uh, I wasn't allowed to. And uh, I wasn't doing research. So it never came up there until I the day I retired. I mentioned that I was going to be spending more time at church. and <laughs> People were very surprised. But then later, several of them came up to me and told me they were Christians also. And <laughs> I didn't know that either. The atmosphere in academia and, and I'm including the NIH and, and many other government and even some private organizations in science, the atmosphere towards religion is not exactly uh, welcoming. I wouldn't in some cases, it could be hostile, but I didn't experience that. I've heard some other people who have. But it's, you know, it's just, I think most scientists have the right idea. Uh, it's just not 
relevant to the work you're doing. I mean, nobody that I have ever heard of, and I know many scientists who are still active in scientific research, and many Christians, I mean, who are still active in, in scientific research, and it's true for them too. No, nobody goes to the lab and, and gets on their knees and prays that the experiment will work. Maybe they do it silently, but it's not a, you know, the two things don't really, don't really mix well. The, the methods are totally different. Everything is different about science and, and religious faith. So I guess the answer is that, you know, some, some of my colleagues think I'm a little crazy or, you know, what happened to him? Why is he now following this, this you know, strange idea? But most of them are happy with it. They, they don't, you know, they're not upset with it. If someone's a scientist and they deliberately think to themselves, okay, how do I include faith in this analysis of whatever I'm analyzing? Do you think that new ideas will come to them or do you think it would help them do science? I don't know in, what, in which way they would include this, you know, this religious thinking, but well, have I, you ever I, tried I, such a thing? Yeah, I, I think I think it's similar to what you're saying, but not exactly. In other words, I don't think I, I mean, there are people who and, and I'm not one of them. And I, I know a few, but not many. There are some scientists who are very strong biblicists. That means they take the written word of the Old Testament totally literally and don't and think that God inspired the writers to write scientific truth. So that that means that they take Genesis 1 as a scientific discussion of how, you know, everything started. And they will use those, they're very few, but those people will use their biblical faith or their faith in, in sometimes called biblicism to guide and steer their scientific views. But these are often, you know, young earth creationists or, or creationists. And that doesn't work well because, you know, it ignores scientific evidence. And I think that I agree that the Bible is, you know, the word of God is an inspired, but I don't think God, you know, wrote a scientific textbook or he didn't inspire the writers. If he had told the writers at that time, you know, that uh, exactly how, in fact, the universe came to be with the Big Bang and with, you know, all the things we now know, they wouldn't have had any idea what he was talking about. I mean, even... Even the idea of a billion years was meaningless in those days. So people wrote what they, he was, they were inspired to write. And I think they were inspired by God. And so in that sense, I talk about the Bible as being inerrant, but only inerrant if you interpret it correctly. So I, I don't accept the view that the Bible is simple, that you just read it and it, word for word, it's, that's what happened the way it's written. I don't think that's true at all. And I think that's demonstrably, there are many, many theologians who have shown that to be the case through, through studies. But other than that example of, for example, Answers in Genesis and the Creation Institute, you know, th places like that, which have some scientists, the vast majority scientists, Christians, you know, do science the way every other scientist does. And, and that's true for, for Hindu scientists, for Muslim scientists, Jewish scientists, scientists of all faiths. And I, I've worked with every single one of them. And you work with a bunch of scientists who are of four or five different faiths. You would never know which faith they hold based on what they say about science. I mean, it's all the science overrides all of that. You know, they may believe very different things about God or about, you know, or about uh, the soul or whatever the different views are in these religions. But none of that le leaks into their scientific work. All right. So you haven't found it helpful to try to incorporate that side of you 
with the science that you've done. Okay, so actually, I didn't answer that part. So what I think is helpful is that in some areas in science, I think we need to have a broader perspective. And what the religious view does for me, and it's not true for everybody, but for me, it helps open my mind a little bit. Not, not that I'm trying to bring the creator in because I don't think that works, but I think that there are concepts, not just in, in religion, but also in philosophy, in a number of other areas, especially with biology, which are, could be useful in helping people open up to new ideas. Now, you don't need religion for that because a lot of the people I know in biology who are who are opening up new ideas and new concepts and, and new, uh, new theories are not at all religious. Some of them are, are actually quite militant atheists. So it, it's really, you don't need it. But for me, I think there have been times when it's kind of been helpful for me to ask the question, what's missing? Okay, that's what I first started asking when I was an atheist and I thought the whole world could easily be explained by mechanistic materialism. And then I realize, no, there's something missing here. And that's where we are in biology. We're a little bit stuck because in biology, we have actually discovered, so to speak, the theory of everything, which is elusive in physics. But in biology, the theory of everything is evolution by natural selection. At least that's what many biologists feel. And I think the theory of evolution is brilliant and and works very well, but it's not the theory of everything. There's a lot missing. We don't understand the origin of life. We can't use evolution to explain that. That's agreed on by everybody, including, you know, Darwin and Dawkins and everybody else, that there's something else. You can't use evolution, which is a biological theory, to explain the origin of life. And I also think that the theory of evolution doesn't do much to help us understand human nature, consciousness, many things that are, uh, I would guess I would say, post-evolutionary. And again, somebody like Richard Dawkins agrees. He, he will say that cultural evolution is really how we change. Our bodies and our genes haven't changed that much in the last 200,000 years, but the way we live has changed drastically. Even every five years, it's a huge change now. And that's because of our technology, which is the result of cultural evolution, not biological evolution. So I don't know, what, what do you think is going to be the role of, of faith and science going forward? Is it going to continue to diminish? Is there, you know, do you see any resurgence where, you know, again, faith and science are coming together to come up with new concepts and ideas? I think some of that is true. I think there will be some new concepts and ideas. I don't know if they'll come from religion. I think uh, science will continue to move in different fields. I think that uh, religion could play a small role in, um, in encouraging some of these new ideas, but I don't really know if that's true. Again, I'm not saying that science and religion work together, you know, to, to come up with truth. They come up with different truths through different methodologies. And sometimes those truths turn out to be the same, which means we probably got it right. I think that it, when they are, when they differ with each other, when science and religion don't agree, then we're getting one or most likely both of them wrong in some way. And, you know, we have to remember that we know an awful lot these days scientifically, but does anyone think that what we now know is the truth? I mean, why should it be? We continually make progress in science. So this, the scientific view of the world in 5,000 years 
is not going to look anything like what we now think it is, the strictly scientific view. And who knows where it'll go? That's something I can't predict. And there have been things that uh, you've observed in science or that you've figured out that seem to contradict faith? Or is there... No. It doesn't no. Seem no there's, there's nothing in science that can contradict faith. People who try to do that are usually targeting the wrong thing. They're targeting biblical literalism. Yeah, that they're correct there, but that's not faith. That's a particular brand of faith, which is, you know, not very useful. But the idea of the existence of God, the, the reality of Jesus, there's no science that can contradict that because it's outside of the realm of science. Science deals with the natural world, not the supernatural world. And science cannot say that there is no supernatural because it doesn't, you know, just like saying it, there's no art. There's no such thing as art because science can't describe it. You know, I mean, mm, uh, okay. going back to that thing I mentioned before about scientism, I asked one person who believed in scientism about how you tell whether art is good or bad. He says, very simple. You just look at the price. If it's an expensive painting, it's probably much better than if it's a cheap painting. Okay, well, if that's your your, uh, version of reality, fine. But uh, I don't know who would agree with you. (laughs) So, you know, things that are outside the realm of science cannot be addressed by science. So, And I think most most atheists who are thoughtful will agree that they're under no obligation to disprove God. Instead, what they tend to do is ask us to try to prove God, which is also silly because, first of all, science doesn't prove anything, which many people don't realize. But second of all, even if it does prove anything, it can't find evidence for a supernatural because the only evidence for that would, would be non-scientific. Okay. Well, very good. Um, science. so in addition to your book on the work of his hands, any other resources that people can and should look into to understand you and your journey and, you know, the ideas that you want to communicate? Well, I've been on a lot of YouTube channels. Uh, I've done a lot of interviews. They can just <laughs> look for me there. I do have a website, cygart.com, very easy, which you can find everything about me, including all my publications, both my scientific publications. And since I retired, I've written quite a few articles and scientific papers, both more related to things like the origin of life, to evolution. I'm very interested in teleology as something going on in evolution. So all of that is all of those um, papers and written articles are, you can find at that website, along with lists of my various YouTube appearances and uh, talks since the pandemic, everything I've been talking, every time I've been speaking, it's been pretty much on YouTube, although I did give a couple of talks at an interview with Capturing Christianity Live in Houston last year. I'll be doing that again in a, in a couple of weeks. And that interview is has become very popular. I did an interview last summer with Cameron Bertuzzi of uh, Capturing Christianity, and it, that's heading up to 850,000 views. So apparently it's been very popular. I'm not sure why, but I talk about my story there. And I have, as I said, my website has lists of the other interviews and presentations I've been giving. And I also have a blog, which is called The Works of His Hands. Again, you can find that on, blog is called The the Book of Works. Works of His Hands is the book. (laughs) The Book of Works is my blog. It's, It's also, there's a link to it on the website. And I guess that's enough. People uh, will probably get tired of yeah. more of that. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, very good. Well, Sai, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Remember, before you go, to grab your one penny bag of pine pollen for all the amazing all-natural hormonal support that men and women the world over are raving about. Try it out and see how it works for you. All you have to do is head to GeniusPollen.com to grab your bag today. Within days, you may be able to notice greater energy, more focus, added recovery, and more. Again, please visit GeniusPollen.com to learn more now. Thank you. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.